2: Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett.
0: On this episode, a a biblical prophecy researcher and documentary filmmaker believes he's located the throne of Satan.
1: Albert Speer walks into the museum and he sees this altar and he is inspired. He goes, you know what, I love this altar... I'm going to build a large version of it for Adolf Hitler.
0: If you enjoy Conspiracy Unlimited, why not become a Conspiracy Unlimited Plus member? For just $1.99 per month, you'll gain access to two bonus, exclusive, commercial-free episodes per month, plus access to my back catalog of episodes. To subscribe, just go to conspiracyunlimitedpodcast.com and click on This episode is brought to you by Smile Brilliant, teeth whitening, backed by science. Now, my guest has been with me before on Conspiracy Unlimited. In fact, just about two months ago, just a few days after his episode dropped, he calls me up and he wants to meet for coffee downtown Toronto. But he doesn't tell me what it's about. So we meet and he shares with me his latest research. He says to me, now this is over green tea at Starbucks. He says, I know where Satan's throne is. I say, I beg your pardon? Yes, I know where Satan's throne is. Just like that. Just matter of fact. First of all, I didn't know Satan had a throne, but I suppose if you are the dark prince and you rule this world, and he does, you probably have a throne. And then over the next hour, he proceeds to tell me, what Satan's throne is, what it looks like, and its exact location. And now he's going to share that story with you. Are you ready? Strap yourself in. This is going to be a wild ride filled with intrigue and subterfuge. It's a tale of archaeology meets spiritual warfare. Here we go. Ali Siadatan is the founder of Think Again Productions in Canada, a multimedia teaching ministry shedding light on mysteries and treasures of scriptural knowledge, which is making the Bible more real than ever. Siadatan has found that evidence keeps agreeing with the Bible's tale, from biblical cities peering through the sand to alien abductions and prophetic events. In 2006, Think Again Productions released the groundbreaking documentary UFOs, Angels, and Gods on Google Video, and it received 270,000 views in just nine months. Seattle Tan has a black belt in kung fu and has been training since 1991. His research into UFOs has inspired him to write a work of fiction. Uh, still in progress as well as a second documentary on the rise of the Antichrist titled Goliath Rising Hybrids Nephilim and Titans Ali Siatatan welcome back to Conspiracy Unlimited how are you?
1: very good Richard thank you for having me back
0: you and I had coffee uh, oh about a month ago and we uh, we talked about this amazing artifact that I wasn't aware of the altar of Zeus now first of all just give us kind of the 30,000-foot view. What, what what does this thing look like? Where Where is it mentioned? then why is it important?
1: Well, um, it has a very interesting story. Um, it is mentioned, um, specifically what makes it relevant is, you know, tucked away in the book of Revelation, there are seven letters that apparently um, Christ, wrote himself. You know, when people think of the letters in the New Testament they think of the letters of Paul or James or Peter. But there are actually seven letters in the New Testament that were written by Jesus himself, um, but they're tucked away into the book of Revelation, which is kind of a hard book to decipher. And it's it's fascinating because apparently when Jesus, you know, ascends to God um, God gives him this information, which he then sends to his uh, disciple John uh through uh, a messenger a heavenly messenger so this is a communication of the highest degree apparently you know God who inhabits eternity explains this to to his son so this is this is a high, highest degree in in these seven letters um he 's writing to a uh, seven congregations in Asia Minor, which is kind of modern-day Turkey by the Asian coast, and suddenly we're all surprised to see that in one of the letters to the city of Pergamum, uh, the congregation of uh, followers uh, uh, of the Messiah in Pergamum, he says these surprising words to them. He says, I know where you dwell, where Satan's throne is, Satan's throne, yet you hold fast my name, and you do not deny my faith, even in the days of Antipas, which were the days of persecution, where the leader was killed, Antipas. In the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who was killed among you, where Satan dwells. And suddenly, this this throne of Satan. I mean, this is this is fascinating. And I'll, I'll, I'll break down the story of how I came across this information. Uh, but if you're asking for a thirty thousand uh, feet view, this throne uh, of Satan in the city of Pergamum when archaeologists finally got there in the 19th century at the end of the 19th century a uh, Prussian German archaeologist uh, Karl Human specifically you know he unearthed this incredibly magnificent altar to Zeus the head of the pantheon the the father of the gods the ruler of the Greco-Roman world because he was also known as Jupiter to to the, to the Romans right and it was this magnificent piece of architecture, and it was still there. Uh, and, you, you know, we, when you look at uh, temples to Zeus or altars to Zeus in the ancient world, they weren't all over the place. This was a very unique and significant uh, piece, and in the middle of it, there was an altar of burnt offering, where burnt offerings were offered to Zeus 24-7. So it was the most important spiritual monument of that city.
2: And when,
0: where was it? Un, i mean how was it uncovered i mean ha, was it it was obviously not in plain sight so they had to they had to unearth it is that the idea
1: yes it was buried over time as the greco-roman uh empire came to a close and rome lost its power um and, and it shifted from polytheism, the worship of the gods uh to 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 to, to the worship of the one god um, the, as this, this spiritual transformation came over the roman world this very popular and important altar uh, was then just left and gradually was covered with dust and was buried. Yet it was intact.
0: And what does it what does it look like? Give me well, sort of the dimensions roughly. Uh, what does it look like?
1: It it, it actually looks like uh, someone reaching out with their arms. Imagine a person reaching out with their arms, their chest in the middle, and two arms on either side. It has that shape of like a very rectangular U. Um, and then, in the middle of it, in the center of it, was an altar of burnt offering. Uh, as far as the exact dimensions, I have to look at my notes. I i wasn't thinking about that, but it is basically um, large enough that, that an entire building had to be built for it in Germany, where you know the, the Ottoman Empire was controlling that area. They did some negotiations, and the Ottoman Empire ag- agreed to let the Germans take this. They took it to Germany. And this is the interesting part. The the people who uh, brought this insisted that this altar must be reassembled just the way it was in Germany. They dismantled it piece by piece.
0: Sorry, just the way it was in Pergamon.
1: The way it was in Pergamum. They they came. They brought it to Berlin, and and they said, you know what? We have to build a special structure to house this. And that structure is the Museum of Pergamum. It took three years to build. And if you look at it, you'll see it doesn't look like a regular museum. It really looks like a temple to me. It's a very strange building, the very heart of the museum, where this thing was put.
0: So a museum that houses basically one artifact, and that is this 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 altar to the Greek god Zeus. Sorry, and yes, did you give and, me the dimensions, how, how big this thing is?
1: Well, I'll have to, I'll have to look it up while we're talking. Uh, another thing that's house in that museum, as you're kind of, you know, moving towards the altar on your right-hand side, you'll pass through the gates of Ishtar, which were the gates of Babylon, the very gates of Babylon, incredible gates of, of, of phenomenal fame, because the walls of Babylon were very, very wide walls. Four chariots could rise on the top of it, and they were held together by these gates dedicated to the Queen of Heaven, Ishtar, and those gates are also in this museum, as you walk in, in deep into it, and then at the very end, past the gates, at the very end, you find this other artifact, an altar to, to this pagan god, and, and the connection with, with, with Satan is, is very compelling, and I'll kind of open that up. Yeah, I, I was going
0: to ask you, how you make the connection uh, from this letter in Revelation, from Jesus to one of, the, to one of his ch- churches, uh, the, mentioning the throne of Satan, to the altar of Zeus. How do we know that the Satan, the throne of Satan mentioned in Revelation, is in fact the same altar?
1: Well, um, it, that that is a very interesting point. It's kind of like the pieces of a puzzle coming together. The way that that I came across it um, was in 1996. I was attending some uh, studies of the Bible. I walked up the stairs, and the teacher said to me. I know where Satan's throne is. And I said to him, Well, where? He said, Well, it's Pergamum. And he pointed to this letter.
0: (laughs) Now there's an icebreaker. Hey, I know where Satan's throne is.
1: No kidding. I was like, What? So I went looking to see what I could find in Pergamum. And I found myself um, in in the Museum of Archaeology. It was the ROM Museum of the Royal Ontario Museum in Toronto, the Library of ROM. And there, what I found was actually the notes of Carl Heumann, the archaeologist, who had unearthed this. And he said in his own handwriting, it said, if, if Jesus was referring to anything of significance, it must have been this altar. And I thought, wow. So I ran back, I photocopied that, I said, I think you know the, the archaeologist agrees with you, who dug up Pergamum. Apparently, he too feels that there was something here of importance. It was this altar of Zeus. And then fast-forwarding, you know, we, we, that really opened, uh, for us, the connection between, uh, well, the gods and the fallen angels, because who was Zeus, the head of the pantheon of the gods, according to the Greek uh, pantheon, and, and in Jupiter was just his Roman name. And so was, was there a connection between the gods and the fallen angels? And that led us into the study of this whole matter in Scripture, which is fascinating, and you can kind of look it up in our documentary, UFOs, Angels, and Gods. Um, a few years later, uh, this was actually ten years later when the documentary was released in 2006, I was in a magazine store and there something caught my eye. The cover of Biblical Archaeology Review, it had a picture of this altar, a piece of it, and then it said Satan's throne. I thought, what? Someone else is talking about this? So I picked up and it was a professor from Yale Seminary ex- explaining essentially the same thing that this was probably what Jesus must have been referring to because this was the only thing of great architectural and spiritual importance inside of Pergamum. And you think, okay, this is interesting. Here's another another person. You know, it's as though something is being discovered. Now, t- keep in mind. Keep in mind that that all hell has broken loose since this altar was reassembled and placed in Berlin we've had two world wars a holocaust the rise of the soviet empire the cold war the cuban missile crisis um and, and the, the the establishment of israel i mean so much has happened two gulf this, wars sorry two, two gulf wars.
0: wars and two, two gulf, gulf wars, wars
1: um this this altar appears uh in berlin and these guys who I'm looking into right now to see what spiritual you know connection they may have had in their own personal lives insist they get together and they insist they petition the authorities that this must be reassembled the way it stood in the city of Pergamum it was not customary to exhibit archaeological finds in that way you would just take a piece of it put it in the museum and the rest would be in storage and you might rotate but these guys insisted. No, we want this thing reassembled just the way it was. And to this end, an entire building is built, which takes three years to build. This thing is put inside of it. Again, once again, this phenomenal—you know—this altar that, that that the Lord may be calling Satan's throne. And I'll and I'll explain why that may be the case. Let me ask uh, you something
0: though, Ali. Uh, so what again? What year was that museum dedicated to Pergamum uh, opened in Berlin? W-
1: I think it was 1897.
0: 1897. All right. Do we know whether, for example, uh, since we are likely talking about Satan's throne here, uh, whether Hitler uh, or Himmler or any of his Nazi henchmen visited the museum and, and paid tribute to it?
1: Well, that's that's a very good question there was an entire you know nefarious spiritual awakening happening in europe especially centered in germany uh th- there was you know the great spiritualist uh madame what is her name blavatsky but madame blavatsky who was german russian born in ukraine at this time, and the whole Nazi movement was a religious movement. A cultic, yeah, it was uh, a, cult, a cult. cult yeah. that was going back to, you know, pre-Christian ideas of spirituality and the channeling of all kinds of things. So while this spiritual movement is rising, which eventually will crown the Führer, his architect, Albert Speer, walks into the museum. He walks into the museum, and he sees this altar, and he is inspired. He goes, you know what, I love this altar. I'm going to build a large version of it for Adolf Hitler, and he does in the city of Nuremberg. If you Google Nuremberg rallies, ah, see yes. this large structure at the back um, where the rallies were held. And, you know, these rallies were held at night. Uh, Hitler said that he wanted it to be as solemn as a Catholic mass, and so Albert Speer put these lights all around and at night, they would light up the lights, and, and the beams of light would go up, forming pillars of light. And people, you know, the soldiers uh, would be coming in, and then at the very end of it, there was this massive version of this altar. And this is interesting. Uh, with the Inside of the altar of Pergamon the ancient altar of Pergamon, there was one of the great symbols of Zeus. Zeus had uh, the, the bull as his symbol. And so, um, uh, in that bull, in, in ancient Pergamum, um, there would be offerings uh, to purify the land to uh, Zeus, other than the offerings that were on the altar, which were an act of worship. When monotheism came, in the form of uh, this messianic uh, you know, religion, Christianity eventually was called, to the city of Pergamum, this offended the priests of Zeus. So they went and they arrested Antipas, the, the leader of the congregation of Pergamon. They brought him and they offered him as a burnt offering. They put him inside of that brazen bull that was on the altar, the symbol of Zeus. They lit a fire underneath him and they cooked him inside of that bull. And they had put the, these tubes inside of the bull to you know, amplify the, the sounds, the cries of whoever was being burnt in the bull. And historians record that Antipas, until his death, he prayed for his church, prayed for their protection while he was being cooked in there. When Albert Speer reduplicated this altar, he removed the bull, and where the bull would have stood, he put a podium for Hitler to stand and ah. make his speeches. And it is from that podium that Hitler went ahead and called for another burnt offering, or as we say in greek holocaust
0: ah amazing it is there. horrible yes. and amazing at the same time just the yes, the
1: connection is is very eerie, and so here we have this um, you know the, this connection uh, of the spiritual movement that rises on the heels of the reappearing of the of the altar. the altar reappears in Berlin. it is from there that this spiritual movement rises. Uh, that has all kinds of name, you know, uh, theosophy, Arianism, and and Hitler, it becomes a disciple of it, and eventually becomes its Führer. You know, the whole point of this movement is to actually empower a Führer. Um, now, when you kind of go back,
0: empower an Antichrist,
1: a type of the Antichrist right. for sure. Uh, um, we should and, also and, point and, out,
0: Ali, that for those people who who uh, if they want to see. Uh, this duplicate, an enormous duplicate of the altar of Zeus, uh, built by Albert Speer. Then they should Google "Triumph of the Will." Uh, that's Lemmy Reifenstahl's uh, documentary about the the Nuremberg Rally, and then there they will see it. Uh, right. it it's.
1: Uh, I own a copy of it. Yeah, and that's a very chilling document, where you know Hitler starts his journey in an airplane, descending, uh, to, 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 uh, like, like the Messiah coming down for his 1,000-year rule. Uh, so there's all kinds of connections here of, of a duplicate of the Messiah, or, or, or a pseudo-Messiah, definitely an Antichrist. Um, now, now, why is this a throne? Why is the throne of all the different altars that were in the ancient world to Zeus? By the way, there are not that many altars to Zeus in the ancient world. This was a unique place. Um, and and even temples, you know, of of
0: which are different beasts and altars. Yes, I've seen. I've been to Zeus's temple in Athens. What yes. what remains of it? Giant, yes. I guess, Corinthian uh, uh, pillars. Some of them toppled over. Uh, it's spectacular, nonetheless. One one other question, though, before we proceed. When Jesus was writing these seven letters to the churches that are revealed in Revelation.
1: Yes.
0: Uh, and he's he's calling out the church in Pergamum. And he's saying that the throne is there. At this point, Pergamum is is Christian.
1: Uh, no, Pergamum is not Christian. It's per, not. Per, uh, Pergamum just has a tiny Christian community ah, living in it.
0: Got it. Okay. And yes. And is the and the altar is still being used by the pagans at this point? There.
1: Yes. This uh, Pergamum was a very important religious center and an opulent city. And it was, you know, uh, this altar was understood to be important to the Greek world. Once the Rome, uh, took over, uh, the last great king of Pergamum offered this city as a gift to Rome, and it became Rome's administrative capital in Asia Minor, and, and it continued to, the altar continued to flourish and be of use in the Roman world. Kind of, l- let me, let me place a setting for you. Um because we kind of miss it when we look at look at it backwards from the twentieth century we we don't we don't see the importance of Pergamum, but if we were to rewind and understand it from the point of view of the Greeks and Romans, this is what we would see when you were to stand in asia Minor um in, in, let's say some two thousand three hundred years ago, you were standing at the genesis at at the dawn. Of what would become the great Greco-Roman world, the great Greco-Roman Empire, oh, historians tell us that the Greco-Roman world began with a, s- a few cities in Asia Minor and in Greece. Um, this is where it all started, and and so the Persian Empire uh, kind of had its you know boundaries around this area, and and you know it never was able to to uh, expand past into the Western world, and and perhaps. Again, the Bible gives us a clue as to why there is this idea uh, in the writings of the prophet Daniel that apparently an angel is coming to give a message to Daniel and and is stopped for 21 days. He, he stopped and he's fighting. He tells Daniel, I came 21 days ago to respond to you, but the prince of Persia withstood me, and I have to call for Michael to come down uh, to... Um, to defend me, so I could come and give you this message, and after I have to go and fight the Prince of Greece. In this passage, Scripture reveals to us, like removing a veil, that behind these empires there was spiritual forces. These spiritual forces were challenging this heavenly messenger that had come to give a message of scriptural importance. So Pergamum sits, essentially, not only at at the dawn and genesis of the Western world, but it also sits at the boundary of where the power of the prince of persia ends and the power of the prince of greece begins
0: now when you say the prince you're talking about the the spiritual uh, power behind the the secular leader of these empires well they
1: weren't secular because they worshiped these gods they worshiped these spiritual powers we see paul in his great speech where he stands in the city of ephesus where was a very important center of worship of of these
0: gods? So I don't mean secular; I mean human. We have a human leader of the empire, but behind that human leader, they are backed by what a, a a demonic entity.
1: Well, yes. I mean, Scripture mentions that many places that the pagans, you know, sacrificed not to gods but to devils, and we see that, for instance, in the association made between Satan and the king of Babylon, the king of Tyre, in the in in the Old Testament we see it um when um um the uh, satan uh, is having a conversation apparently with Jesus it's his second temptation and he says to him that all i have all the kingdoms of the world have been given to my dominion i have dominion over all of the kingdoms of the world and i will give them to whomever i wish and if you worship me i will give them to you so we see this this uh, reality that the fallen man that the man who is condemned to death and cast out from the presence of God in the Garden of Eden, is then under the, the the legal authority of these beings who are also judged and cast out, and and so that's why the Redeemer comes to you know purchase things back. Like when uh, Jesus says to Paul, who is a, who is a Jewish Pharisee uh, who who is awakened to the, to the fact that this man was really the Messiah. He says to Paul, go into the into the Roman world and bring people out from the power of Satan to the light of God. And this is in Acts chapter 26 in the New Testament. Again, there is this spiritual freedom and uh, that is uh, happening to those who receive this message and, and who enter into fellowship with the living God, but they're freed from the spiritual forces that govern these empires.
0: Steve is a retired homicide detective. He tackles the case from the other end of the spectrum and uses public records and witness accounts to piece together the history of the haunted location. On every episode, Steve and Amy investigate a different, real haunting to help the family struggling with its effects. On one episode in Falconer, New York, a family keeps waking up with scratches and bruises. They also see a shadow figure lurking around their home. They call Amy and Steve to investigate. Amy uses her strength as a medium to understand who the presence is coming from. And why it's so angry. Separately, Steve finds out the history of the house from the townspeople and in public records. He finds that several people who lived in this house died, which matches Amy's findings. At the end of the episode, Steve and Amy share their findings and make a recommendation on whether it's safe to stay in the house or time to get out. There are so many crazy stories on the Dead Files, and what's interesting about Amy and Steve is that they investigate the hauntings from two totally different perspectives. You listen to my podcast because you love Tales of the Paranormal. But if you want more, listen to The Dead Files wherever you get your podcasts. Do you grind your teeth at night? Well, that's not unusual. There are about 40 million Americans who do. We grind our teeth for a lot of reasons. We're stressed and anxious, or maybe because of an unusual bite teeth grinding will lead to worn enamel, tooth decay, sleeplessness, and expensive dental procedures. Sure, you could buy a custom-fitted night guard, but that'll set you back two or three hundred dollars and you'll grind through several of those every year. Instead, try Smile Brilliance lab direct process and you get the same custom-fitted night guard for as little as $45, $45. That's right. $45 per guard. Smile Brilliant also has custom-fitted whitening trays and the Carry Pro electric toothbrush. Smile Brilliant. Take a moment and visit www.smilebrilliant.com and use Conspiracy at checkout to receive 30% off. 30% www.smilebrilliant.com and use conspiracy at checkout. Smile fearlessly with Smile Brilliant.
2: Theoretical physicists say that there's as many as 12 hyper dimensions. Here are just three of them. Conspiracy Unlimited, Conspiracy Unlimited, Conspiracy Unlimited. Pretty cool, huh? Uh, Here's an extra one. Conspiracy Unlimited. Hey, how about one more? Conspiracy Unlimited. And the great thing is we have six hyperdimensions left. Conspiracy Unlimited. Five.
0: Halle Siadatan joins me here on Conspiracy Unlimited. We're talking about the altar of Zeus and whether or not it could be the throne of Satan. If Zeus then is Satan, why Pergamum? I mean, he is the ruler of the world, why would would his throne be there versus, I don't know, pick any other place on the planet? Rome
1: or Athens. Rome, exactly. Yes. Um, because, again, we, the way we see Pergamum is different from the way that the people in the ancient world saw it. Now that I'm really meditating on, on the place of Pergamum in the ancient world and looking up all of its archaeological details, I see that it was a very important city. It was very opulent. And as I said, if you were to uh put your hot tent, uh two thousand three hundred years ago on the shores of the Asian coast where Pergamum is and look westward, you wouldn't see the Greco Roman Empire yet, but you would see before you the great lands that would become the Greco Roman world. It is the genesis, it's like it's uh, of the empire. It is where the father Of the empire has put his house and he's looking ahead and saying this will be my backyard this will be the territories from which my empires will rise there'll be many great cities that will rule the world but it all begins where the territory of the Prince of Persia ends and the Prince of Greece begins it begins in this Aegean coast it begins with these small Greek cities this is the genesis of what eventually one could even argue, finds its uh, resting place on the shores of California. It is here in the West that the greatest of the powers is to emerge. So Pergamum is at the very dawn, at the very beginning of this. And so from the point of view of these guys who felt that their authority, these emperors, these kings of the Greco-Roman world who felt that their authority came from Jupiter and from Zeus, they understood that the dream began in places like Pergamum, that, that as long as they are obeying um, uh, you know, the God whose altar is there, they will continue to rule out of these various cities. Okay. It was more like a spiritual capital rather than a uh, imperial capital.
0: Let me ask you then, Ali, was this altar this throne of Satan, simply ceremonial and symbolic, or was there a point when Zeus himself would have sat on the throne there?
1: Well, I have read that um, the priests of Zeus would first offer sacrifices on the altar, and if their sacrifice was accepted, they would move up uh, the mountain, and where Zeus himself would then haunt them, his spirit would haunt them, and they would receive communication from him. Um, and and this communication was conveyed, you know, to the emperor, for instance. I mean, you look at, let's say, Diocletian, and why were the Roman citizens who believed in the gospel killed? They had There was no reason to kill them. They weren't saying anything bad. Well, they were killed because the emperors felt that the... This was something that was completely understood in the ancient world, going back to the the earliest kings of Mesopotamia, that the power of the king came from the gods. And these citizens were weakening the empire and the emperor by refusing to sacrifice to the gods. So in the case of Diocletian, who in the 4th century carried the most significant persecution against the Christian citizenry, He started that by first sending a messenger to the Oracle of Apollo in Delphi, asking, what should I do with the Christians? And Apollo responded that the Christians are the enemies of the gods. And this is what led to the civil rights of Christian citizens being suspended, their Bibles being burnt, and they were arrested and tortured until they sacrificed to the gods or died. But the command came from the Pantheon uh, and, of course, Apollo is the sun god who we, whom we know as Shams. He's the one who gave the code of Hammurabi. We, he has had many different names, you know, but the symbol is always that of the sun. And Zeus, you know, the head of the pantheon, he's the prince of the power of the air, the thunder god, the one who has the power of, of lightning in his hands. And there are many names, but the symbols are the same. And so... Uh, this altar um, was a place of worship and also a place of communication.
0: Now, Zeus's symbol also was an eagle, was it not?
1: Exactly. And where do we see the eagle? Where we see the eagle in all of the imperial flags, and then going forward into the west, you look at why was placed in Germany, and we see it, of course, we see the eagle in all of the significant flags uh, uh, that, that, that grew out of the new Greco-Roman world, which is Europe and the Americas. Uh, go back now to the fall of the Roman Empire in the fourth century. Uh, as in the West, Rome begins to fall, what rises in its stead? Well, there's the Visigoths, the Germanic tribes, that are coming. They're finishing Rome off. And suddenly they become the new power. They become the dawn of a new world. And so the first empire is the Charlemagne's empire, which is a Germanic empire. Charlemagne is a Germanic uh, you know king, and he creates the Holy Roman Empire. And from there we see a succession of of five main powers rising. There is the the, the kingdom of Portugal, the kingdom of Spain then Napoleon rises, uh, the, the French rise, and at Waterloo the British begin to rise, and so Charlemagne, the Portuguese, the Spain, the Spanish, the French, and then the English. And they form five empires which may be very well these five toes that, w- that we read about in the ancient prophecies of scripture. From here the Europe conquers the new world and seeds it and extends its imperial reach into the New World, and of course there's lots of, you know, interesting, um, uh, um, writings about the Washington, D.C., how it was selected by the secret societies, uh, and it was, you know, Albert Pike, uh, Lord Bacon. There's so many writings that say, you know, we have handpicked this place. And, and so out of the, the Fifth Empire, the English one, D.C. rises. And, and so, so once again, Berlin, or the Germanic, uh, power, is like Pergamum, a at the dawn of what eventually is going to become the Western uh, civilization and the Western power? Well, the United States
0: system. was 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 uh, equally British and German. There was uh, uh, only a number of votes, I believe, at one of the it was at the Continental Congress to decide the official language of the United States, and it could well have been given another couple of votes. It could have been German. Well,
1: there you go. So so between the Germans of the north and the Celts of the South, the Germans will always dominate the history of Europe. And and also it's interesting to note that when the European Union was formed, on the Euro we see the symbol of a bull, which is the symbol of Zeus, lifting Europe out of the sea, um which was a you know, a princess, and so we see that what is relifting Europe out of the sea is, is Zeus. And Satan. so once Yes, as as far as this biblical insight is concerned. So, in this thinking, Europe becomes the new Greece, and the Americas the new Rome. Uh, so the Greco-Roman world gets duplicated. And so, again, if you stand in Pergamum and look westward, which is the temple, the altar of Pergamum faces west with its arms open towards the west. If you right now went to Pergamum and stood in the middle of that altar and looked out directly, you would be looking directly towards the West. And that's what I'm saying. This was the vision. Got
0: it. Okay.
1: This and the German, Germanic world, once again, is at the beginning of, of a new imperial power. So the throne is squarely put in the West and has made its reappearance. Now, what is it's the... It's still 6, in Berlin,
0: 2000? correct? It's still in Berlin. It hasn't moved there since the, the, the late 19th century.
1: No, it, it Berlin was conquered uh, by the Soviet army. Right, and and this thing was what inside of what was East Berlin eventually became East Berlin. So the altar passed from the Germans for a while to the Russians, and it was taken to Moscow, and the Soviet Empire rose and became this great atheistic empire that really you know, yes, the, the West is imperial, yes, but, but the Soviet Empire had this, you know, two qualities about it. One was its anti-Semitic pogromos that started, and two, it was an atheist empire that declared war against the very existence of God, and and created all kinds of contention. So for a while the altar was in in Moscow, and then it was brought back to Berlin, to its resting place, and the Soviet Empire fell, and now we are to see what may rise from it, but it is squarely in the Western world. Also, I think it's very interesting to to talk about what is actually depicted on the altar. All right. Um, what is depicted on the altar is the story of the rise of the Titans, which is uh, these hybrid offsprings of heaven and earth, of the gods and men. They rise, the Titans rise. And then they are uh, they create chaos in the world, and then Zeus, the just, arrives with his, you know, gods and with his buddies. And he then defeats the Titans and reestablishes order in the world. Now, this is interesting because the biblical narrative gives us the exact opposite understanding of history, that it was the fallen angels who created these titans, these Nephilim, the Hebrew calls them, before the age of the flood, that these guys rose to create a one-world empire, one-world government, and there was a Nephilim who was the leader of them all, um, and and some even believe that he ruled out of the city of Atlantis. And this was then judged eventually by the flood, by God, and, and the flood uh, came and purified the earth, washed it away, and the age of chaos was removed, and then afterwards an age of order was introduced, and God began to, pre- to introduce His order by revealing Himself through Abraham, through his, the, the Torah, through the prophets, and eventually came as a person. So God is the order bringer, but in this altar, what we see is the reverse. What we see is that what is represented on this altar is that it is Zeus who is the bringer of order out of chaos. He's bringing order through the vehicle of empire. It's the, the, the first Roman
0: Ali. It's the first instance of fake news.
1: Yes, it's 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 a massive fake news. He is for he is to the to his worshippers, which were massive. The Greeks tell us people in all nations worshipped Zeus that they understood him as telegraphed on the on the history written on this that this is in fact he is the one bringing order and, and so therefore he's directly competing with the line of you know with the with the temple of jerusalem which is supposed to be this place where the light uh, is and where the order uh, emanates from and of course the line of david which is leading to you know this ruler this king who is going to bring an age of peace on the earth
0: right we're just about just about out of time here so i want to ask you has uh, the altar now uh, i guess is back in berlin correct yes has it ever been replicated again by some world leader in the same way that that albert speer replicated it for hitler's nuremberg rally well
1: President Obama was in Berlin, and he, had to, he was there to give a speech, and he was kind of walking up to, his, to where he was, this speech was going to happen. He went into the museum, and it's, he also fell under its spell, and he said, I want my inauguration speech, and it's a very strange request. I want my inauguration speech to be done from a replica altar, and this was in 2008, and you can Google this and they've built a small replica of the altar from where Obama does his inauguration speech. Now, remember something very important, that in the time of the Greeks, when the Greek Empire was, like, after Alexander, was still very much flourishing, one of the leaders of the Greek Empire, Antiochus Epiphanes, decided that he was going to come and take over Jerusalem, and he forced everyone to sacrifice to Zeus, And he then went in the Holy of Holies, where apparently God's presence was descending once a year on the Day of Atonement. And there, he sacrificed a pig on the altar, which was, you know, very a no-no. And he erected an idol to Zeus in the Holy of Holies, fulfilling a prophecy of the prophet Daniel, who said that there'll be an abomination of desolation that will render the temple desolate for three and a half years. And this was fulfilled in the time of Antiochus Epiphanes, and what Jesus did was very interesting. He resurrected this prophecy by saying when you see the abomination of desolation pointing to this event now being a type of a future event that hasn't yet occurred, suddenly this historical event that involves Zeus and the quenching of the light uh, in the temple is, is, is it mentioned by Daniel, is resurrected by Jesus in Matthew chapter 24 And he makes it a type uh, of a future event that has not yet occurred. So once again, there will be a power that will be strong enough and will come to Jerusalem and will lay claim to it for the forces of darkness.
0: Okay, so let's just just let me jump in here and let's go back to Obama here for a second.
1: What does Obama do uh, after he becomes president? Well, let's be frank. President Obama... Despite all the, you know, great things he may have done, and this is not a political statement, it's just a factual statement, he does begin to roll back uh, some of the values of the Judeo-Christian culture of the United States and champions values that are different. And that was the kind of world inside of which the story of Hanukkah occurred. It was a world in which many of the Jewish people had left there. Uh, you know, scriptural values, and they were ripe for the many of the even the priests agreed with the worship of Zeus in Jerusalem. And I think that is the type of world in which the antichrist will rise. It will not be the kind of world that doesn't know God, but it will be the kind of world that once knew God and has left left it. Because when you're an antichrist, it means you are competing with something that has to do with Christ. So. The judeo-christian world the western world where the throne is has to culturally also be prepared for the rise of this man and this is for sure why the altar has reappeared because it has reappeared in expectation for the rise of the antichrist now if we zoom into the middle of the altar to where the burnt offerings were put not the outside wall but the burnt offering, what is there depicted on there? There is depicted the life of Typhus, the founder of Pergamum, the grandson of Zeus through the line of Hercules, a serpent seed line, a Nephilim line. In the middle of the altar, there is the life of Typhus recorded. Typhus was the son of Hercules, who was the son of Zeus. So what is, uh, the city was founded, if you take these stories to be literal, the city was founded by a Nephilim in the very bloodline of Zeus. And so not only is the altar telegraphing that the father of the gods is the bringer of order and light through the vehicle of empire, but that his bloodline is the one that deserves to be the, 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 the rulership of the world, one who is a representative of a type of the coming world leader and it's tithus who's represented there a, a king the founder of the city of pergamum but not a human king a king who's part human and part god and part god specifically in the line of zeus so that is also i think symbolically very important when this altar was placed there it had in its writing in its depictions the dream of satan to compete with the house of david and with the temple of jerusalem and that's why we see the greco-roman world make war with the temple of jerusalem and and the roman world eventually destroys the temple of jerusalem in 70 a.d and puts in its stead a temple to the gods to jupiter a temple to jupiter is put in jerusalem in 135 a.d the name of the city is changed to Kapitalina, Aelina Capitolina, which means the city of the Capitoline gods. And it is believed that this temple to Jupiter had an octagonal base. And that's why when the Muslims came in the 7th century and destroyed it, and they built the Golden Dome, uh, the mosque, they built it in the octagonal shape. But I mean, it's interesting that under the Greco-Roman uh, world, under the leadership of Zeus or Jupiter, we see attempts against the temple in Jerusalem, uh, and we see Jesus, you know, saying that these attempts are prophetic, and that they're actually acting out future events in history. That once again the temple uh, will be desolate for three and a half years, and these three and a half years will be the last three and a half years of history itself, leading to the second coming. Right. This is where the three and a half years even comes from. It comes from the prophecies of Daniel about the desolation of abomination, which until the time of Jesus everyone believed was fulfilled
0: right. by now, one
1: of Alexander's generals okay. when he erected an altar to Zeus in the Holy of Holies.
0: Now, back to the altar of Zeus. I, I want to go back to Obama here. Did no one notice... That when he was delivering his inaugural address before this replica of the altar of Zeus, did no one say, Hey, that looks familiar. I saw that in Triumph of the Will. Did no, no one no, no one no,
1: notice? No one no one knows these things. But what is happening right now is that attention is being brought to it. Um I know that for instance, you know, uh Rabbi Jonathan Kahn is talking about these things, I'm talking about these things. I've now seen other uh, mentions of it online, so I think it takes time for awareness to spread. I was sharing this with a Jewish friend of mine, You know, he's a 74-year-old man, and, and when I showed him the connection between this altar and, and the Nazis and Obama, it had a very profound effect on him. When we met, again, that's the first thing that came out of his mouth, so I realized that for him, this did telegraph something about the heart, of President Obama that went beyond words is as though something in the subconscious uh, was being broadcasted out something deep inside of his being that he too could be a vehicle and what, as I said, what is it that he bring? Well, some will say he weakened Israel and made alliances with the enemies of Israel. Others will say he, you know, pushed back the Judeo-Christian makeup of the culture and prepared the way for all kinds of other ideas to take root in the culture. Um, who knows? You know, time will tell. With hindsight, we'll see it more clearly. But it is very interesting.
0: I'll say one final altar. question. One final question. Yes. The altar of Zeus remains in this museum in Berlin. Yes. Will it play some role in the end of in, end of days? Will Will Satan? Once again, sit on his throne, wherever it may be, whether it's in Berlin or Pergamum.
1: Well, it's a place of worship. Maybe, maybe at night, maybe even sometimes during the year, maybe there are ceremonies there that we don't know about. Um, I sometimes imagine that because of the shape of it. But what it does tell us is that squarely it seems that it is this new Greco-Roman world, the Western world, that is the one selected to be the seat of ultimate power and we do see it that it is the most powerful part of the world regardless of all the noise So i think that it is from this part of the world that the antichrist may rise now will he rise out of berlin will he rise out of dc as you pointed out yourself pergamum was where the altar was where the statement of rulership was made where the worship was done but the imperial power came out of other cities like athens and rome so power could rise out of dc um but i think at this point i have to say with this new shocking revelation i do favor berlin or dc as where this power may rise out of i have to say uh that this is very interesting
0: uh Uh, to say the least (laughs) ali uh this is fascinating thank you so much for bringing this to light the altar of zeus you're welcome richard Okay, before I dim the lights in my little studio beneath the stairs, I'll be back in a moment with a few words about an upcoming episode. C60 EVO delivers the miracle molecule ESS-60 It's pure carbon 60. Why not love your body and share C60 EVO with those you love? ESS 60 from C60 EVO is a mega antioxidant for increased strength, endurance, flexibility, and a deeper sleep. It's great for pets too. I take a tablespoon every day and so does the mighty Aphrodite. We're both sleeping better than we have in years. And during the day, we have such tremendous energy and vitality were both pain-free. In a landmark, peer-reviewed animal study in Paris, France, rats fed ESS-60 lived twice their normal lifespan. Go to c60evo.com slash Richard hyphen or click on the C60 Evo link in the episode notes. Use the code EVRS at checkout and save 10%. ESS-60 from C60 Evo. Order your miracle in a bottle today. Coming up next time, an inventor discusses a new breakthrough exotic technology that may hold the key to eliminating all toxic exhaust fumes that will allow internal combustion engines to run pollution-free. Until then, I'm Richard Serrett. So long for now.
2: A new Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett drops every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at conspiracyunlimitedpodcast.com